Good afternoon, family. Would you pray with me one more time? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us all that we need in Jesus. We thank you so much for him. We pray that you would help our hearts to love you all the more today and pray that we would be leaving here, Lord, all the more thankful for the way that you have redeemed us from the bondage of sin and death. We pray that you would help us to take refuge in you today and that you would be glorified in our time today. In Jesus' name, amen. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when life has become so hopeless and so horrible you don't even know where to begin to start? Some of you are going through some incredibly hard circumstances. Maybe it's a close family member who's on the brink of death. Or maybe it's a crippling anxiety that makes it hard at moments even to breathe. Have you ever been in certain situations like this? A missionary named Elizabeth Elliot was faced with times like these in her life, many times. Elizabeth was a missionary to the Amazon jungle in Ecuador with, along with her late husband, Jim Elliott. However, her, while her husband was there trying to share the gospel with the people that they had literally crossed a continent to try and reach, these un, unreached people group in the Amazon speared to death Jim along with five other missionaries. And in and instant. Elizabeth was now a widow and a single mom. What should she do next? What could she do next? Maybe you are here today and you're wondering what to do. You're unsure of how you've gotten to this place that you're at, but you are not even sure where to begin. And more so, you're wondering if God even cares about where you are. Does he really care about me? Does he really love me? Well, I think our text for today answers that question. The main thing that I think Ruth chapter 2 teaches us is that the Lord never forgets his people, and he is a sure refuge for them. The Lord never forgets his people, and he is a sure refuge for them. And our text today is broken down into three parts. The first is providential guidance in verses 1 to 3, providential guidance. Second, we'll see finding favor in verses 4 to 16, finding favor and Third, we'll see the blessings of refuge, verses 17 to 23, the blessings of refuge. So providential guidance, finding favor, and the blessings of refuge. And brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ today, I pray that you would leave here with a firm confidence that the Lord has not forgotten you and that he loves you dearly. 
Again, we're going to be in Ruth chapter 2 today, so go ahead and turn there with me, if you will. Ruth chapter 2. And as you're turning there, just to take a moment to, for us to remember all what's been happening in the book of Ruth up to this point. In Ruth chapter 1, we saw, we were introduced to Ruth and Naomi, who were living in some terrible times. People were doing whatever they wanted in the days that the judges were, were ruling. And Naomi and Ruth were left powerless and hopeless after the death of their husbands. Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, was in so much pain that she changed her name from pleasant, Naomi, to Mara, meaning bitter, because she thought that there was nothing good about her life. She had nothing to be pleasant about. They were left wondering, what do I do now? They weren't even sure how to begin. But the, the very last verse of chapter 1 gives us a hint of hope as they're coming back to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. There may yet be hope for a new beginning. They may have finally found hope. So now listen as we read Ruth chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field, or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge." Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, 
Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you go to glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she said to her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Amen. Now let's consider our first point, providential guidance, in verses 1 to 3. The narrator in verse 1 introduces us to a very important person, and his name is Boaz. Amen. It's Boaz. We're told that Boaz is a worthy man, meaning that he's a powerful man, a man of high social standing, and a man of integrity. And this man is also from the clan of Elimelech. If you remember from chapter 1, Naomi's deceased husband was named Elimelech. Boaz is from the same family tree as Ruth and Naomi. There may yet be hope for a redeemer. But in verse 2, the author, the narrator transitions us back into the lives of Naomi and Ruth. We go from seeing this worthy man in verse 1 to these two hopeless, destitute women in verse 2. And Ruth, who has no idea, no concept for Boaz even existing, asks Naomi if she can go glean in a field. It's the beginning of barley harvest, and so Ruth acknowledges, I've got to do something. The word for glean doesn't mean much to us, because I don't think, has anyone in here been gleaning recently? No, I don't think anybody's been gleaning, unfortunately. So there's been no gleaners among us. And so we read this word, and it doesn't mean much to us. But gleaning means to gather grain from the edges of a field or to pick up the grain that the har harvesters dropped. So it's not a, a plentiful harvest. You're getting the leftovers, the bits. This isn't like going to an apple farm where you go and you pick some apples, and in, if it's a good farm and it's the right time, you have more than enough apples that you know what to do with in five minutes, right? This is not that type of thing. Instead, this is something that only the poorest of the poor would do. And in Old Testament Israel, God made provision for the poor. He says in Leviticus 19, verses 9 through 10, When you reap the harvest of the land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor 
and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. And Ruth fits both of these categories at the end. She is both poor and a sojourner in the land of Israel. But God is watching out for her. One commentator says that the practice of going to glean would be something similar to today if someone you knew said they were going to go and search for aluminum cans to pick up and turn in for money at the end of the day. She's going to pick up cans. Maybe she'll have a couple of dollars. Maybe she'll go be able to go to the dollar menu at McDonald's and buy one thing off the menu But at the end of the day. But maybe, and that's it. But Ruth has to do something. And so she goes out to glean. And at this point, I want us to remember Elizabeth Elliot. We left off that her husband had been killed and the, uh, by the very people that he was trying to share the gospel with. And Elizabeth was left as a widow and a single mom. What did she do the next morning? How do you begin the morning after that? She says that it was of great comfort to her to trust God and simply do the next thing. Just do the next thing. Trust God and do the next thing. And that's what Ruth is doing in Ruth chapter 2. She's trusting God and doing the next thing. This teaches us about what faith sometimes looks like. I would imagine that Ruth and Elizabeth Elliot and perhaps some of you have had many mornings when you didn't even know if you could make it past breakfast. Many tear-filled nights. Ruth and Elizabeth Elliot placed their trust in the Lord. And so through their tears, through their heartache, and through the, tear, the, the hardships that they faced, they pushed forward, and they obeyed God, and they trusted him, and they did the next thing. Brothers and sisters, living faithfully does not mean that you will never go through hard times. Instead, God promises to be with you in your hard times, to help you, to give you his strength to push through and make it through the day to do the next thing. He helps you to do the next thing. It's okay not to feel happy all the time, but we can still trust God. And as Ruth does the next thing, she trusts God and she goes to glean in some random field. Look at verse 3 with me. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And this is the best part, y'all. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to who? Boaz. Amen. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Don't you love that? Ruth happened to come. She happened. The Hebrew literally reads, Ruth's Chance chanced upon the field belonging to Boaz. In other words, she got lucky. Extremely lucky. So much that she chanced, 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 chanced upon the field, right? This is the author's way, though. And we reading it understand this is the author's way of giving us a little, a little wink. He's saying, you guys know what's really going on, right? Uh-huh. This is, this is not a chance. This is the Lord. 
And so this is God's providence right here in Ruth chapter 2. And we need to reflect and consider how we might apply this to ourselves. So many of us, when we're tempted, uh, when we're met with terrible circumstances, we're tempted to think that God has forgotten us. God forgot me. We feel that God has stopped to care about us and care about what's going on in our lives. Anyone ever done that? I know I have. We forget that God's in control. But today, if you are in Christ, let this passage remind you that God is always in control. You may not know how he's working, but you know that he is. Ruth doesn't look for a special sign for where to go and what to do. Instead, she rests in God's ordinary means of grace. She goes and does the next thing. This passage shows us that when we do ordinary and regular things, we can trust that God is supernaturally working all things together for good in ways that you and I could never think of or imagine. Brothers and sisters, some of us need to be reminded today that God works all things for good for those who love him. Some of us need to be reminded that he works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so today, if you're in a place where you are just doing the next thing, do it with hope. Do it knowing that God has a providential plan and he's working all things together for good. We can rest because we often don't recognize what God is doing when he's doing them. God is providentially arranging so many things and we often don't know what's happening even in the moment. And if you, in order to illustrate this, just think about for you what's been some of the biggest things, the literally the life-changing events that have happened in your life. And think about what was going on in your life when those things happened. What was the context in which those things happened? Did you know your life was about to be changed? I don't always know. I, I'm, maybe you know. That would be, be kind of cool, honestly, to figure out if you always knew. But I have no idea most of the time. I, uh, w- one example, uh, literally my life was changed, definitely for the better, might I add, was marrying my wonderful wife, Mandy. But the night that I met my wonderful wife, Mandy, I had no idea that she would go on to be my wife. It was definitely not one of those situations where it was love at first sight. That just wasn't it for us, which is, uh, praise God, he works through that. Um, but the, the reason it wasn't love at, first th- love at first sight is because I had just driven up from Florida to Virginia, Alexandria, Virginia. I was uh, moving into a new house with new roommates to go to a new church who I had never met. And so after I had driven, I think, about 12 hours that day, I arrived at in sometime in the afternoon slash night to unload my stuff. And my roommates, graciously, thankfully, they threw me a, a welcome party. And so they invited people. And one of the people, lo and behold, was Mandy. But I had no idea. I was exhausted at that time. I was just going through the normal rhythms of life. I was tired. It was hard. I had no idea that God was working all things in that moment and that my life would be changed by meeting her that night. And so as you go through your day-to-day lives, doing ordinary, regular things, do them with hope. 
that the Lord knows, that the Lord sees, and that the Lord is working despite your feelings and your doubts. Remember, brothers and sisters, that as John Flavel once said, providence must be read backwards. Providence must be read backwards. So often we want to look at what is currently going on and fit it into our nice little categories for what God is potentially providentially doing in our lives. But when we look back and see what God has already done, we see a lot clearer, don't we? And so look back and trust God for the future. And if you ha- there's things in your life that you don't understand why they happen, trust that God knows and that he is and will always be working all things for good. That's exactly what Ruth did in verses 1 to 3. She trusted God to provide, not knowing how he would do it, and she went on and did the next thing. And in verses 4 to 17, we see the result of her trust. Verses 4 to, 17, 4, 4 to 16, excuse me, finding favor, finding favor. Read with me verses 4 to 7 of Ruth 2. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. And in verse 4, we hear the first words from Boaz. And they are, the Lord be with you. And then his workers respond, the Lord bless you. Boaz is a godly man, and everyone around him knows it. His faith is on display at work. It's not in hiding. And as the godly man Boaz walks into the office for the day, he asks his workers, whose young woman is this? And at this point, some of us need to take a pause And we might have read that in maybe the way it wasn't intended to be read. Because some of us might have read it as, yo, (laughs) whose young woman is this? (laughs) Right? But that is not the context that this is is being read as. That's not the sense that Boaz is asking. Remember, Remember, Boaz has been pictured as a godly man up to this point. He's a man with integrity. And maybe because, and I'm only saying this because they go on and later in the book to to get married and he's her redeemer, maybe potentially he has some concern for her uh, her marriage ability, but I don't think this is in any way a dirty question or anything like that. He cares for her. He wants to know. She's in his field, under his authority, and so he takes the initiative to know what is happening and who this girl is. He's genuinely concerned for her. And so the head reaper replies, oh yeah, her? Yeah, she's the, she's the Moabite girl who came back with Naomi from, from Moab. She came early in the morning and asked to glean, and she's been going hard until now. And immediately, Boaz gets a little twinkle in his eye. He knows who she is. He's heard. This is Ruth. And yeah, she's a Moabite, but instead of looking at her with disgust because of her ethnicity, Boaz looks at her with compassion because of her faith. And then in verse 8, he greets her. Verse 8, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? 
And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young women have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Boaz greets Ruth, daughter, and says, Stick with my young women. You have protection and provision here. Don't go anywhere else. You are safe here. And Ruth responds, What did I do to earn favor in your eyes since I am a foreigner? And Boaz responds in verse 11. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He says, I heard about you. I know who you are. You're the girl who stuck with Naomi through thick and thin. You're the girl that said, I'm not leaving you. If you think back to Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, Ruth says to Naomi, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Naomi stuck with Ruth, or sorry, Ruth stuck with Naomi, and Ruth also stuck with Naomi's God. And that's what's happening in verse 12. The Lord is repaying Ruth for her faith, for her trust in him. Your reward is from him, Boaz says. And to seek refuge, in verse 12, seek refuge simply means to fully entrust oneself to the tender care of God and to worship him alone and to stick with his people. So fully entrust yourself to stick with God and to stick with his people. At this point, we should pause, though, and think about what it means in verse 12 when it says that God will repay Ruth. I don't think that God is somehow indebted to Ruth, that she's been working and now the Lord has to pay her. I've earned these wages, and so now you get blessing. That, that's not what's happening here. And we know that because Ruth is said to come and take refuge. She is the one who's in need under the wings of God. And the word for repay in verse 12 can also be translated as reward. Reward. And so I think that this translation is more helpful here. So this verse is saying that God is rewarding Ruth because she sought refuge in him. God is rewarding Ruth because she sought refuge in him. So Boaz says, it isn't me who's blessing you, and you, uh, you're being rewarded because it's the Lord. And it is a good and biblical concept to, to, to say that the Lord rewards. Hebrews, 11, chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 assures us of this truth, that the Lord rewards those who seek him. And that's the type of reward that is being pictured here. Ruth has sought out Yahweh, and the Lord is rewarding her by giving her refuge and shelter. You get God because you took refuge in him, and that is her reward. Her reward is God. And this picture of verse, in verse 12 is one of refuge, and it says that Ruth took shelter under the wings of God. And this image here is like the image of a mother bird protecting one of her little babies. 
That's the image here of the Lord. My wife and I just welcomed our first son, Zeke, into the world. And by far, one of my favorite things to do since he's been born is to watch Mandy uh, when, he cal- when she calms Zeke. He could be crying his brains out for some reason, and he's just getting increasingly mad, and I'm holding him, and it's just not going good. He's not feeling it for some reason, and it's like because he lost a pacifier, and he just starts getting really mad, really upset. And then he goes, he does this like thing where he escalates to, he's just kind of upset, and then he goes like full on like, I'm about to lose it, man. Like, ha, 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 just like freaking out, full on freaking out. And I'm trying to, Zeke, it's okay, it's okay. But then Mandy comes in comes up to Zeke and says, Zeke, I love you. It's okay. Mama's here. Shh. It's okay. And slowly but surely, he just kind of calms down because he knows that his loving, tender, affectionate mom is right there, and he's safe in her arms. That's the image of verse 12. God covers his children under his mighty wings and says, Shh, child, I love you. I'm right here. You're safe here. You are not alone. Ruth 2.12 shows us who our God is. And Ruth 2.12 is an echo of Exodus chapter 19 and Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy 32 verses 11 and 12 says, Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them up on its pinions, the Lord alone guided him. This is a picture of God's love for his people. God is like a mother bird who picks his children up after they've fallen out of the nest and brings them back to safety. We see that God is the same in Ruth as he is in Exodus and Deuteronomy. And praise God as he is right now. That is our God. And today, if you go to Jesus for refuge, you can have rest for your souls. You can be brought in under his mighty wings. Anything or anyone other than Jesus cannot provide you this rest and this refuge. You must go to him. But when you do, if you fall, he'll be there to pick you up, dust you off, and bring you under his wings. But maybe you're here today and you have repented of your sins and trusted in Christ. Praise God. You've come to him. And maybe you're even a member here at NCBC. But you struggle to know if God really loves you. You struggle to know if God really loves you. Out of all the people in the world, does he really love me? If that's you today, I want to assure you that if you are in Christ, God is saying, I love you. Come find refuge under my wings today. Come and find rest here. Don't go anywhere else. Come to Jesus. Or maybe you're here today and you struggle to know if the Lord really cares about what happens to you. Psalm 56 verse 8 says that all the tears that you've ever cried. I just saw someone raise their eyebrows and like, that's a lot. (laughs) The Lord 
puts each one of them into a bottle. He's caught every single one of them. Every time you've tossed and turned in your bed at night, the Lord has known each one of those tossings. He has not forgotten, and he greatly desires for you to come under his wings. He loves to show mercy and loves to give grace. But if you're here today and you would not call yourself a Christian, the Bible teaches us that you're not under the affectionate care of God. Instead, you're under the wrath of God. Instead of running to Christ as your refuge, you have run away from him and gone to other things for refuge. And as a result of your sin, you've been separated from a holy God. Instead of running to Christ, you ran away. And the only way that anyone in this room has access to the special love of God is through Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can forgive you of your sins. In order to be reconciled to your loving Father, you must acknowledge, that your, acknowledge your sin and turn towards Christ. Because Christ came and he lived a life that you should have lived and died a death that you deserved to die. And today, Jesus invites you under his wings. He invites you to take refuge in him. He is gentle and easy to approach. So come to him. Find refuge in him. To come to Jesus, you must confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. If you'd like to talk more about that with any of us, uh, find a member of NCBC or, or one of the pastors standing at the door, and we would love to talk with you more about following Jesus. And so Boaz prays for the Lord to bless Ruth in verse 12. And the Lord does just that in verses 14 to 16. Boaz invites Ruth to eat and drink with him. He invites her to be satisfied. And in fact, she even has leftovers. So look at me again at verses 14 to 16. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebu rebuke her. Ruth leaves with a full stomach, and she's got some leftovers to bring home. And she's got some bundles to bring home as well. And as we've seen, this is the kindness that the Lord is showing to Ruth. Because she sought refuge in him. But, and this tells us something about what it means to find refuge in the Lord. Sometimes we think about finding refuge in the Lord as an old World, World War II bunker, right? It's got uh, old food and some electricity that doesn't work, and it's kind of like very shaky. It's not very sturdy. But no, finding refuge in the Lord is being invited into his presence. And our God gives in abundance. That's who he is. He gives us every spiritual blessing in Christ. And this theme of blessing leads us to our third section found in verses 17 to 23. Read with me verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. So Ruth stays and gleans all day. She's been working hard, and finally when she looks up at everything that she's gathered for the day, it's about an ephah. An ephah is about 30 pounds worth of, uh, worth of barley. One commentator wrote that she could have made 650 slices of bread 
with that amount. Wow, that's a lot, right? That's a lot of bread. And so you can imagine Naomi's response. When Ruth comes in, like she just did the biggest Costco run ever, right? <laughs> She's got bags and bags and bags. She brings in the leftovers. And Naomi's like, oh, where'd you get this from? This looks great. And then she goes back and she's like, hold on, I'm not done. She comes in, brings a big old bag and she's barely carrying all this stuff in. Oh, wait, where did you go? Hold on, I'm not done. Goes back, gets some more. She's got loads of stuff. It just keeps on coming. And so Naomi says in verse 19, where did you glean today? Where have you been today, Ruth? Where, where did you get all this? And then Naomi says in verse 19, blessed, blessed be the man who took refuge of you. Who, sorry, who took notice of you. Uh, Naomi finally offers blessing. This bitter woman who changed her name from pleasant to bitter is pronouncing a blessing. And she experiences blessing in a day. Notice here, church family, that when Ruth gets a blessing, she shares her blessing with others. A day ago, she was in the same desperate situation as Naomi. But now that she's experienced blessing, she realizes that part of the reason she's gotten blessing is so that she can bless. And this is what 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse tells us, uh, chapter 1 tells us. That we are comforted by the God of all comfort so that we can comfort others in their affliction. You may be here and you have experienced God's abundant blessing. You have experienced God's grace in amazing ways. Know that the God of all comfort has comforted you so that you can comfort others. And not just uh, ambiguous others. Look around. Others in this building, church members right here, God has given you comfort so that you can comfort each other. And comfort me. I need your comfort. We all need each other's comfort. And so, when, when you think about how the Lord has given you grace, look around for others that are experiencing similar afflictions that you have gone through. See how you can minister to them. Invite them over for a meal. Ask them to get coffee. Try and get to know them and comfort them in the afflictions that you've been brought, uh, brought through by the Lord's grace. We need each other. So as Ruth is bringing in all this extra field, uh, food, Ruth casually says, oh yeah, and by the way, the, the guy's name who this field is, it, uh, who this field was, where I got everything from, his name was Boaz. Kind of just bringing the last meal, not really thinking anything of it. And then you can just see Naomi kind of eating her, all her food like really fast, and she's, Boaz? That was, that was Boaz? And this little ray of light that she sees goes to a full-on beaming smile. It was Boaz? And she says in verses 20 through 22, And Naomi said to her, to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Naomi knows exactly who this Boaz guy, Boaz guy is, and he is one of their redeemers. 
And Ruth has gotten an invitation back to Boaz's field to keep gleaning, not just for the end of the barley harvest, but also the wheat harvest. She's gotten an addition, another uh, pointer to the Lord's grace in helping her find Boaz. And chapter 2 ends on the notion of what will happen? Will Boaz redeem Ruth? And we're left wondering in the story. But at this point, we need to consider what a redeemer is as we look at the book of Ruth. What a redeemer is. This theme is going to be very important, and so uh, I, I pray that as we talk about a redeemer in Ruth, we will all grow in our love and thankfulness for our redeemer, Jesus Christ. And the concept of a redeemer is sweet to us because it reminds us more than that just we've been saved, but that there was a great price paid for our salvation. It reminds us of the price that was paid for salvation. And that price for us, all who trust in Christ, is his blood. And so notice four characteristics of a redeemer. First, uh, slavery. Second, inheritance. Third, offspring. And fourth, capability. These will be really quick. I'm going to go through uh, these references very fast just to highlight what a redeemer is to do. Leviticus 25 tells us that the redeemer was to purchase his family family member out of bondage or slavery if they fell under hard times. Purchase out of bondage. Second, Leviticus 25 also tells us that the Redeemer was to purchase the family member's inheritance, an inheritance that they had lost when they fell under hard times. Third, Deuteronomy 25, we see that the, the Redeemer was supposed to provide an offspring, provide an offspring for this, this widow and redeem her by giving her an offspring. And finally, in Ruth 2.20, we see that the Redeemer had to be uh, both willing and able to redeem. He had to be capable to redeem. So the possibility of Boaz being a Redeemer in Ruth 2.20 points us forward to our certain Redeemer, the better Boaz, Jesus Christ. Because we were in need of redemption. Not from famine, Not from financial crisis, but from sin. We were dead in our sins. We had no hope of working out of our slavery. And we had no hope of avoiding judgment. Because we had run away from God. But Christ came that we might be redeemed. That we might be freed from the bondage of sin. That we might be freed from slavery to sin. And that we might gain a glorious inheritance in Christ that can never be lost, that can never be squandered, and that provides us with every spiritual blessing. And now we are made children. We are the offspring of the Redeemer. We are now children of him. And last of all, Jesus Christ is the only one capable to redeem us. He was the only one who was both willing and able To redeem us. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Christ was the only one who was both willing and able to redeem us. He was the only one who was both fully God and fully man, and he redeemed his people from the bondage of sin and death. And gave us a glorious inheritance in him. And now we who trust in him are called children of God to whom we cry out, Abba, Father.
That's our Redeemer, y'all. That's Jesus. In conclusion, I hope that you all leave here today with a certainty that God has not forgotten you and that you can take refuge under his wings. We trust in the better Boaz, our sure Redeemer. So let's all find refuge in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, our Redeemer. He redeemed us from the bondage of our sin and now has promised us life forevermore. Help us to love him. In Jesus' name, amen.